Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. You know, I want to I want to share a word with you this morning. We've been doing a series on the anointing and teaching on the anointing, but I just felt like, like I said this weekend, that God kind of shifted that for this Sunday, and uh, so we'll continue the anointing series uh, next week. I'll pick up on teaching on the different kinds of anointings next week, but we've had a great series with that. But I want to teach this morning on living a legacy of honor and and leaving a legacy of honor for those that follow behind you. You know, when we start talking about legacy, we often think about inheritance. We talk money. You know, what, what you leaving me, mom and dad? What you, what you got in the bank for me? Let me have that house, you know. Uh, one of our, one of our uh, church members here within the past couple of months was going through, lost his dad and had to go through the, the trials and all the difficulties. Anybody that's lost a family member or, or uh, mom or dad and have had to go through all of the court and all of that stuff, know the hassle that, that has to be handled with all of that. And so we start thinking, when we think legacy, we think someone that's died or gone on and has left us an inheritance. Well, I want to try to shift your mentality this morning if I can. I want to show you some truth in scripture about legacy. It's more than that. How many of you have seen the movie Ultimate Gift? Uh, we were, my wife and I were watching that the other day. That's a powerful movie. My, wi- my wife and I were watching that the other day. And th- basically, I'll give you the premise of the, of the movie, is that it's this uh, patriarch of the family who has a uh, large, wealthy business who dies, and everybody comes to the funeral, and they, you know, they've all got their black umbrellas and all doing their professional mourning, and they go to the lawyer's uh, office, and they're all ready to get their what? They want their money. They want their inheritance, and they sit around the table, and the lawyer's read, reading the will, and, and the, the grandpa tells them, well, this is, this is what I would leave you, but I'm not going to give you that because and tells them what character issue they have in their life that would cause them to ruin the blessing, and he tells them, I'm going to give it to somebody else instead. And then he goes through the whole family at the end, the grandson who's been rebellious and and hates his grandfather is the one that ends up with everything. It's a great movie. You should watch it. Um, but that's, that's how we think of legacy and inheritance. When a couple of weeks ago, we went, or well, it wasn't a couple of weeks, it was a few months now, we went to see my grandma, who many of you know is not doing well, and uh, this was before she ended up in a nursing home, and, and uh, she's declining in health. Um, she was talking the other day to my mom about how we were, her and Zach were at, Zachary were at the park doing things together. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm still in Akron, I promise, and uh, those of you who've been through that understand, and uh, while we were there, she said, she said, you know, we just don't have a lot of money to give, you know, but this was at her house before she went in the nursing home. She said, we just don't have a lot of money to give, but I have a lot of my little treasures. And uh, so she starts talking about all of her little treasures that she has that she wants me to have, you know. And uh, my great grandfather made three beautiful grandfather clocks by hand absolutely beautiful and um she was like now this is yours you know she's going through all of the things i'm like grandma you ain't dying yet i mean why are we doing this and she said come back here come to my room and so she took me in her room 
and she has my great my great grandfather was a conductor on the Frisco Railroad, so she's got all of his conductor stuff and all the train stuff, and she's got all my great grandma's stuff and all these things. We're going through all of the all of the heritage of our family. And she says, We don't have a lot, but I have my little treasures. And she pulled out, she said, I want you to have this. And and so I'm just talking about legacy this morning. So she pulled out this picture, this little picture, and she said out, I'm sure you probably can't see it all the way in the back, but it's a picture of her when she was a little baby, a little child. And she said, I want you to have this. I don't know when, how old this is. I mean, you can tell by the frame, it's pretty old. And uh, so it was a photo of her when she was a little child. She said, I want you to have that. And so, and I thought, wow, that's awesome. I definitely want that. That's so cool. That would be, you know, go in our bedroom. That's awesome. And she said, but I want to give you, I want to give you my little treasure. And she pulls out her Bibles. And these Bibles are, you can tell, are falling apart. They're quite old. But these are, these are her Bibles. And I thought, how precious. What a great legacy. More than money, more than inheritance, more than, I have a, I have a spiritual legacy. I have, a, I have a spiritual inheritance that I'm receiving. And that's more valuable to me than any money can afford. And so I want to talk this morning about the inheritance of the Lord. What legacy are you passing along to those around you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Leonard Ravenhill once said, may you not be standing knee deep in ashes come judgment day. There's There's a day of reckoning coming. There's a day coming where our lives, the the building blocks of our lives will be tested by the fire of God. And if your life, if the life that you've lived has been based on wood, hay, and stubble, my friend, you'll be finding yourself knee-deep in ashes, not reflecting the glory of the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 20, it says this, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I want to take a look at this morning three keys on leaving a legacy of honor to those who follow you. I'm not just talking about uh, when you die. I'm talking about right now. There is someone following you right now as we speak. Someone is watching your example. Someone's looking up to you. Someone's looking for your word of encouragement. Someone's looking for you to speak life into their hopeless situation. And they're watching your example. What are you giving them? Your legacy is not passed on by the inheritance that you give. Your legacy is passed on by the example of Christ that you live to others. 
Paul said that we build on this example. We build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We build on who Christ is. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What, what, is our, what is our building block? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ glorified. We preach the Christ crucified. We preach the message of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation on which we build. In 1 Corinthians 2.4, he says, My message was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not that your faith would rest in the wisdom of man, but that your faith would rest in God. What are you offering to people? What is, the legacy that you leave is what you're giving, what you're offering, what you're giving away. Is it, is it wisdom's words? Is it how to be a better you? Are you giving people the life transformation power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we preach the power of Pentecost? Why do we preach the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do we preach the message that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is coming back? Because it is the gospel that will change and revolutionize people's lives. Build on that foundation. Build on this foundation. Paul said in Philippians, but those things that were gained for me, I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things. Say all things. I count everything. My, my accomplishments, the good times, the bad times, the good family times, the bad. I count it all as loss. The word that Paul uses in this scripture is it is a dunghill. It's a pile of mess. I count it all as a loss compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, I count it all as a loss to gain Him. Not that I've already obtained this later in chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained or am made perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. When people look at your life, and they be, begin to examine the details of your life. And, and you begin to look at the details of your life. And, and most importantly, God begins to examine the details of your life. Is it a foundation? Is your life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Is it built on the principles and the cornerstones of the gospel? Or is it built on man's wisdom and persuasive words? Paul said, I count it all as lost. You know, Jesus told a parable about... Two men that wanted an oceanside condo. They wanted the best house available, right with an oceanside view. You remember the story? I'm adding my own little embellishments, but you know what I'm talking about. The one man goes out and he goes out to the Gulf and he says, Wow, this is a great place to build. I'm going to build my house, but I. I've learned from Hurricane Katrina. I don't want to get too close to the Gulf. I'm going to, I'm going to build a little bit inland on the rocky ground. I don't want to build on the, on the sandy ground because when Katrina comes, it's going to devastate my home. So I'm going to build on the rocky ground, on the, on the solid ground. And so he builds this beautiful, elegant home because everybody along the coast builds huge plantation homes right in the middle of Hurricane Alley, you know? So you got to have a beautiful home so that the winds and the storms and the waves can come destroy everything. <laughs> and then, then, 
there's this other man who he wants to get right up next to the, he wants to live in the wetlands. I mean, he's, he's not just wanting to be, you know, we had a landlord like that. They, had a, they wanted to have a build in the, in the wetlands, and so they had a fishing camp right in the middle of the wetlands. Well, if you've ever been out on a swamp tour in the middle of New Orleans or, you know, Mississippi in that area, you know what I'm talking about, um, you got to build up. <laughs> You got to have some, we call them pilings. Here you call them telephone poles. <laughs> but that's basically what a piling is. You just, it's a big telephone pole and they drive it in the ground and you build your house on those, those pilings. And it's, you know, that's kind of what this man did. He, he went out right in the middle of the wetlands and said, I'm going to build right on the sandy beach. And what happens? The Bible says that the wind came, the waves came, the, the rain came. And all the storm. Can I tell you this morning, the wind and the waves, Hurricane Katrina is coming. Yeah. You're going to have a Hurricane Katrina. You're going to have a hurricane. I, we had just had, we had the anniversary of Katrina, and then right after was Isaac. And uh, at Isaac, we had over a week. It was almost two weeks without power. We, we were in our home, and then we, we went from our home to an RV at the church parking lot. And then we went, I don't know, we went somewhere, someone's house, and then we ended up back at our house. You know, for a couple of weeks, we, had, we got back in our house, and there's mold growing on the house. You know, you open up the windows, you do everything you can, but it's just humid, so humid, and it's just gross. But that's kind of guaranteed. You and I are going to face storms and trials in our life, but what matters is the, the rocky ground we're built on or not built on. When the rains and the storms come, where is your foundation? Where have you laid your foundation? Paul said, we build on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Peter said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? That he is the, he is the stone that the builders fashion every brick after to build that building. So God takes the, the heap of rock of our lives, the rough edges and all. Don't look at me like you're an angel. You might be a fallen angel, but don't look at me like you're perfect. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He takes those rough edges of our life. He sets us up on Christ, and he begins to chisel away at the rocky parts, the rough edges of our life until we begin to look like Christ. We begin to take on the shape and the, the attitude and the look and the aroma of Christ. And then he begins to fasten us into the building. What is he building? Ephesians chapter 2 says that God is building a home, a holy habitation for his presence. Peter says that he's building a, a living joint body of bricks. He's building a home. You and I are the building for the presence of the Lord. 1 Corinthians says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Inside of you, if you're a believer today, resides the person of the Holy Spirit. The intention of these vessels, whether it's God building a home or, as he told Timothy, we're vessels of honor or dishonor. You know, when you have a, a bowl, you pour liquid or you put substance into the bowl to contain something. The point of that bowl is to keep whatever's in it safe for future use. 
to pour out of the purpose of a home is that you have, you have hospitality there where people can come and receive, and it's a resting place, right? And that's what God's building and fashioning out of our lives, that we will be vessels that overflow the goodness of God into others. There will be a home built for the presence of the Lord where others can encounter and enjoy the goodness of God in our lives. But if you don't have anything in your house, you have nothing to give. If you, don't pour, if you don't pour the oil into your vessel, like the Shunammite woman, if you don't pour the oil into the vessel, if you don't have a vessel that's willing to be used for the master's purpose, the oil's going to run dry. But when you yield yourself and say, Lord, make me a vessel of honor. Lord, make me a house that can be a habitation of your glory. Let me ask you this. What kind of dwelling place are you? What kind of vessel are you? What kind of quality are you? I caught this, and in Timothy, Paul says, a great house has not just vessels of honor, but has vessels of dishonor. There's some qualities here we can pick up on on a great church. A great church has vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Let me give it to you like this. Not everyone is going to look, act, or think like you. In church... In life, God's building a home, a holy habitation. Not everyone's going to look, act, or think like you. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Thank God for diversity. Not everyone will be as spiritual as you. And everyone who's spiritually arrogant in the room says, What are you talking about? <laughs> you don't know who I am. <laughs> Not everyone will be as perfect as you. Not everyone will have the same purpose as you. Not everyone will have the same methods as you do. But everyone is a part of this house. Whether you're a vessel of honor or dishonor, God's brought you to this house and you're part of our great church. Everyone has the opportunity to be transformed from dishonor to honor. Everybody has the opportunity to come in looking and smelling like filth in the world and not be judged or criticized, but look at them and say, you a sinner, and sinners do sinful things, and we're going to love you no matter what you look like, think like, act like, smell like, and Jesus is going to transform your life. The woman with a precious bottle of ointment it was worth $30,000 in our current culture and finances. She brings in, while Jesus is sitting at the table of Simon the leper in Bethany, she brings in her bottle, she brings in this container, this vessel that contained this, this oil, this ointment that smelled, the Bible says, so strongly that when she broke open this alabaster box, the fragrance smell filled, the smell filled the room. It was one of those fragrances, I'm sure, that it'd get on you. Have you ever been in a place where a smell got on you? I'm sure in that room, that smell, it was so aromatic that, that it got on you, that it was one of those smells you couldn't ever forget. Everybody in that room that day was marked by the aroma of her worship. They could never deny the power of the woman's worship. She came and she brought her $30,000 gift and poured it on the feet of Jesus. 
And Judas was willing to give up Jesus for 300, well, probably $600. The cost of your worship, when you become a vessel for worship, a vessel of honor, a vessel for God to begin to pour out his oil through. In Isaiah 54, verse 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Do not spare. Don't hold back. Lengthen your, lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. God wants to enlarge your capacity for him. You are a dwelling place. You are a vessel for the Lord to use, and he wants to expand you. He wants to increase you. And you may be saying that today, well, I've been expanded and increased quite a bit this year. God's done quite a lot in my life this year. It ain't over. The minute that it's over is the minute you start dying spiritually. There's a lot more that God has for you. There's a lot more that God has for me. I'm not finished yet. <laughs> I think when I think of legacy, I think of people like Joshua and Caleb who gave everything they got. They had everything they had invested in getting into the promised land. And they could have gotten old and cantankerous and griped and complained. Why aren't we there yet? Why is now Joshua the leader? Oh my goodness, God, what do you... Nope. They came to the promised land and they came up to Joshua and said, excuse me, give me my mountain. I've been waiting for this day. I've been standing on the promise of God for this day. I've been waiting for God to bring victory. And now that it's in front of me, give me my mountain. That's what legacy is all about. That's what, that's what living a life as a vessel of honor for God is all about. Not quitting. Don't give up because the going gets rough. You hang in. You stand on the word of God by faith. Not giving in to fear and complacency but saying, Lord, stretch me, expand me, make me a vessel that you can use. In Luke chapter 5, verse 37, it says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. God, I don't want to be an old, used-up wineskin. I want to be a wineskin that can receive new wine. God, I want to be a wineskin that can be used in the supernatural. God, I want to be filled with the new wine of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for legacies like John G. Lake who, you know, if you don't know John G. Lake, they, they put viruses, diseases on his hand and watch them shrivel up and die under the microscope. I thank God for people like Smith Wigglesworth. I could never drop kick a baby over an auditorium, but he did, and the baby came to life. You know, I, I don't know that I could ever go up and, and minister the violent nature that Smith Wigglesworth did, but God took a plumber who, did, who couldn't read and taught him the word of God and made him into a preacher. I thank God for people like Catherine Kuhlman who have led the way for healing ministry and miracles. Thank the Lord. Yeah, did she have her issues? Sure, who in this room doesn't? But she was a yielded vessel to God who God used to impact a nation. Thank the Lord for people like Evan Roberts who said, God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it may cost me. Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. That was his prayer. Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. Lord, make me a vessel that you can use. Lord, make me a vessel that you can use. Lord, bend me. Give me a hundred thousand souls or I'll die. And God, and God transformed the nation of Wales as a result of his prayer. God did an incredible work through the nation of Wales that even so the, the miners had to retrain their donkeys because they didn't understand normal English without curse words. They had to retrain them how to, how to use their normal, you know, not English, but whales. They had to retrain. You got it. <laughs> 
People like William Seymour, who was a slave. His parents were slaves out of St. Mary's Parish in Louisiana. He was one-eyed because of, of, of disease had taken his eye. But the Lord said, go to L.A. And he went. And God used him to birth the Azusa Street Revival that is still affecting us today. <laughs> Lord, thank, thank the Lord for people when God said, I need an Evan Roberts, that they said, Lord, here am I, send me. And I want to say to you today, God's calling your name. He's saying, will you go? Will you be a vessel that I can send and use? Are we too comfortable in our pew? Are we too comfortable in our, in our, in our home? Are we too comfortable in, in, in our daily lives? We've gotten into our routines. Some, sometimes I think the Lord just wants to come and just mess up our routines. He wants to rearrange the furniture of our life so that we have to take a step back and say, whoa, what's going on? And it doesn't mean you blame the preacher when it happens. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you through it. <laughs> a legacy of honor begins, thirdly, with a life of honor. Paul told Timothy, if you're willing to cleanse yourself of the ladder, what did that mean, cleanse yourself of the ladder? Well, let's take a look. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, he said, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, one, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Two, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But three, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal for the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart iniquity. Living a life of honor, one, you've got to stop striving with one another. The commanded blessing of the Lord, Psalms 133, says when we are in unity. Romans 12.10 says to kindly be affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. The message says it like this. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. Yeah. We can all learn from that. Striving, the Bible says in the Greek here, it says to contend or to strive, to wrangle, dispute, argue, to quarrel about matters. That's what the word strive means. Paul said, don't do it. Stop striving. Stop quarreling about things. The word ruin in that uh, passage of Scripture means to overthrow to destruction. In other words, what Paul is saying, when you quarrel and fight with one another, you are overthrowing the work of God. You are overthrowing what God's doing in your midst when you do that. Timothy charged them. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to sinners. The, this message to Timothy was written to the church. He said, Timothy, tell them to stop quarreling, stop fighting. James chapter 4, you have that verse, James chapter 4 verse 1 says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Anybody ever wondered that? Well, James gives us the answer. This is great marriage verse. And this is, if husbands, you need to like memorize this verse. This is a great one for your marriage. 
Where do the fights and the quarrels come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Where do fights and the quarrels and the, the contempt come from? Two words, unmet expectations. You have, you want, you desire, and you don't have, and so you fight. And so what happens within a body of believers, well, you hurt my feelings. You don't know what you said to me. And the person probably never said a word. But the other person got offended over them not saying a word. Well, the pastor didn't come shake my hand today. I'm so sorry. Come to the altar and I'll pray for you. I'll put my hands all over you. <laughs> Fivefold ministry. I mean, some of the things that we come up with, but that's really the fights and the quarrels. That's what Timothy's addressing, or what Paul's addressing with Timothy. Don't allow yourself to strive with others. When Heather and I were dating, we, um, our, our, she's giving me the evil look. She's, she's saying, don't tell stories I wouldn't tell. I got it. When Heather and I were dating, our senior pastors were out of town, and I was house-sitting for them. This was before, obviously, we were married. We were still dating. But we had some tension, to say the least. And they said, and they knew we had some tension. They said, well, why don't you have Heather come over to the house? You can fix a nice dinner, use our kitchen. They had a you know, beautiful home. Uh, it was on, if, if you saw, ever saw the movie Benjamin Button, their, their home was in Benjamin Button. It was a beautiful home. And uh, so they said, you can come over, you know, use whatever. I was like, okay, that's awesome. And... Uh, so Heather comes over, you know, they have this big wooden door, it's beautiful, you know, the wood door, and go open the door, and she walks in and shut the door. We walk in the living room, and we both sat down, one on one couch, one on the other couch, and we just sat and stared at each other. We never talked. We just looked at each other. We were so mad. Why were we so mad? Because she wanted me to tell her that I loved her. And I wanted to marry her. Little did she know that I was planning an engagement in Paris. And so I didn't want to say anything because I knew it was the minute I opened my mouth to say anything, I'd ruin the surprise about Paris. And so I just kept my mouth shut. And then I was always told growing up, you don't tell a woman you love her until you're ready to marry her. And you, you've got a ring on her finger because it's just inappropriate. So, I, you know, I had these preconceived ideas in my head that, that I couldn't tell her I loved her because I would be in sin. And... Uh, <laughs> I've been liberated. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, but none of our young guys ever better get any idea of telling my little girl they love her. Let me just say that while I'm on that. While I'm on that, let me just throw that out there. And so I was all bound up in my issues, and she had unmet expectations, and we had fights and quarrels over it. And it took some counseling for us to overcome. And we went to the, and the counselor was a friend of mine, and so we ended up at the counselor, and her, her response was, I'm not talking to you because you're friends, and I'm sure you're going to gang up on me. And, uh, you know, so we, had, we both had our issues to work through. We had to get through our stubbornness. We had to get through our communication issues. We had to learn how to not strive with one another. Stop striving with one another. What, you know, sometimes we can hear that word and say, yes, that's good for marriage, but it's good for the church. It's good for the church. 
The second thing he says is be a good workman unto God. What, how do we to do this? He says do it diligently. The word diligently, diligently here means to endeavor, to exert oneself, to be prompt in presenting yourself a workman to God. And he says what type of workman are we to be? We are to be one that does not need to be ashamed. That means your life is not a life of iniquity and shameful activity. You're not at home doing things in the dark secret places you ought not to be doing. Amen. And one who rightly divides the word of truth. There's a right way, there's a wrong way. Rightly divide it. That word rightly, divide, means to walk in straight paths. And when you handle the word of God, you cut straight lines. You walk in straight paths. You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You don't want to be an instrument of sin. Be an instrument of righteousness. Thirdly, he says, don't participate in idle talk. What does that mean? Paul telling Timothy, don't, don't participate in idle talk. Idle talk means gossip, empty words, broken promises, or broken agreements. That's idle talk. Don't be involved with idle talk. Idle talk, gossip, empty words. Let your yes be yes. Let your word be your word. Let it be fulfilled. What you say you'll do, do it. The Bible says to shun idle talk. That word shun in the Greek means to literally walk away from. We don't give place to idle talk. We walk away from it. The word cancer there is the word in Greek. It means gangrene. It will spread like gangrene. Gossip, idle talk, idle, idle babblings will spread like an infection if you don't cut it off. Amen. Hebrews 12, 12, 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You know, Paul specifically mentions Hymenius and Philetus here. You know, who are these people? Why would Paul go to great lengths to mention them in his epistles? 1 Timothy 1.20 says this, I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. He says, I delivered them over to Satan. Paul specifically names them and says, I will not allow the enemy to have any foothold in this church. Let me tell you who these people are that are causing strongholds. Let's name them by name. Let's call them out for who they are and have nothing to do with them. That's how vigorous Paul was at preventing idle talk and idle babblings. I've delivered them over to Satan. What does the word blaspheme there mean? It means to disgrace, to discredit, to speak evil of, to criticize or insult. They, these two guys were doing about what half the church does on any given Sunday. I'm not necessarily talking about our church. I'm talking about church at large. People sit and they gossip, they criticize. It's getting quiet up in here. They disgrace, they speak evil of, they insult. And if we followed Paul's instructions and followed his example, yikes. Well, let's move along. <laughs> these were men, these were men who professed. He's, Paul wasn't dealing with sinners. These were men who professed faith in Jesus. And they, they would not forsake iniquity. They would not forsake iniquity. And they allowed themselves to disgrace the gospel in the church. And then fourthly, he says, rest in knowing this. The Lord knows those who are his. You can't escape the providence of God, my friend. 
You can't escape. When you're his, the Lord knows that you're his. Jesus said, I've not lost one except the son of perdition. I've not lost one that the Father has given me except the son of perdition that the the, uh, plan of God might be fulfilled. God will not allow you to escape his love. Amen. He's going to draw you and love you and compel you in, even when you're in your messed up, dark days, when you were out in your depravity, when you were in your darkness, when you were making foolish decisions, the providence of the Lord saw to it that you would someday yield your life to Jesus Christ. He saw to it that you would be here this day, living your life for Him. He saw to it that you would come out of darkness into His marvelous light to declare His excellent greatness. I'm telling you today, it doesn't matter what you may do to try to run from his providence. His hand is on your life. You can't escape his hand. You can't escape the goodness of the Lord in your life. The Lord knows who are his. I want to wrap up. If you'll go over to Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Thanks for your patience this morning. But, and I think this is a good word for many of us. Joshua chapter 2. Very famous person here in Joshua we read we read about and verse 1 says now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from the grove to spy secretly saying go view the land especially Jericho so they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab make no mistake the Bible identified her for what she was we don't sit in judgment of people we just identify reality you're a sinner doesn't matter what your sin of choice is, you're a sinner. She was a harlot, but God was on the scene. You know, sometimes we, you know, people get off on these tangents about, well, you're judging me because you called me this. You labeled me this or that. No, I'm not labeling you. You labeled yourself by choosing to live in the behavior and the lifestyle you chose. I'm not labeled. You labeled yourself. I'm identifying what you've called yourself, and I'm telling you, It doesn't matter if you do that or you don't do that. God still loves you, and he can still set you free. Plain and simple. Very simple. Rahab the harlot. Don't be ashamed of that. We we get so shameful. We get so shameful over the sin and the muck and junk of our past life. And it's the very thing that God uses as a testimony to the lost and the broken. Don't be ashamed of it. Somebody's getting set free this morning from religious bondage that you just feel like you're a horrible, wretched sinner and what good could ever come of you because you've lived in bondage to a lie over your past and it's the very thing that God wants to use to liberate others. And you've kept your mouth shut because you're embarrassed. And here's Rahab. I was a harlot. That's what I was. Everybody knew who I was. I'm a harlot. But God set me free. (laughs) Oh, I'm moving right along and lodged there and it was told the king of Jericho saying behold men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house for they have come to search out all the country then the woman took the two men and hid them so she said yes the men came to me but I did not know where they were from and it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them 
up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order, in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Catch this. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the, ter- the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, and spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that that I have, and deliver them, and deliver our lives from death. I want to just take a look at a couple of facts about Rahab here. She was Amorite, which means that um, it was an idolatrous People, Moses called them the remnants of the last giants. I mean, these are uh, obviously large people. The, the uh, his, history tells us that the Amorites uh, had fair skin, light hair, blue eyes, curved noses, and pointed beards. <laughs> that gives you an image of these folks. She was an Amorite. She was of the Amorites. We know that she was a harlot. The Bible had no mistakes about that. She was called a harlot multiple times through the book of Joshua. She was used to receiving men in her home. And now she had, she had these two spies come in her home. She was used to receiving travelers coming in. They were coming in for a different service than what these two men came. These men came not for her services, but they came bearing the destiny of God for her. They came in the middle of her sin and her depravity, marked with a purpose, marked with destiny for this woman, marked that, she, that her legacy would change. She committed a capital crime. She told the Jericho police to follow people. She lied about them. She was aiding and abetting. She, uh, she, she spared them from the, the police that were after them. And then she recognizes the providence of God in her life. She said, I know that the Lord has brought you here to deliver this land into your hands. I know God will give you this land. But there's, a, there's more to the story with Rahab. There's more to the story about Rahab. In Hebrews 11.31 it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. When they went in to take Jericho, Joshua said to the men, the spies, he said, go get the harlot. So he said, go get the harlot Rahab and her family and bring her here. Her family was spared as a result of her yielding to God in her life. She had a divine moment, a divine intersection, if you will, with the plan and the purpose of God. And her legacy was forever changed. In James chapter 2, it says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? She had faith. She had heard about God, and faith was imparted into her life, and she began to do the good works, and she went out. But there's more to the story. When you think your life is over, when you think that the plans of God are over for your life, when you think your legacy's ended, there's more to the story. See, Rahab met a man 
that night who came to her house. There's two spies. Bear with me just for a few more moments. Two spies came to her house. She met a man that night who came to her house by the name of Salmon. Salmon was an important person. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, let's find out who Salmon was. In Matthew chapter 1, he was one of the spies that came into her home that evening. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Sam- Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Bo- Boab begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this woman who was a harlot, who wasted her life, all of a sudden met a man named Salmon whose gratitude eventually became love and eventually once grace erased the harlot's past became wedded bliss. And Salmon and Rahab had a baby by the name of Boaz. Rahab became the great, great Grandmother of David, the king of Israel, who became the lineage of Jesus Christ. You don't know the divine intersections that God has for you in your life. When you begin to build on the foundation of God, when you become a vessel of honor that God can use, all of a sudden He takes the messed up past, the harlotry of your past, and He begins to make you into the lineage of Christ. You meet a man named Salmon. You meet a man named Jesus who all of a sudden dances with you and romances you and brings you into his lineage and does a work in your life that you would have never thought possible. Rahab's life was forever changed because she yielded to the plans and the purposes of God. Today, what about you? What legacy are you leaving behind? What are, you, what are you giving to those that are around you? When my great-grandma died, we didn't sit around and we didn't talk about how much money she had because she didn't have any. We didn't sit around and we didn't talk about all the great things. When she died, we talked about how of a mighty woman of faith that she was. And because of her spiritual legacy... I'm here today. That's what we talked about. When people look at your life, they don't care about how much money you have. They don't care about how much influence you have. They want to know, is there something alive and real on the inside of you that's going to transform their life? Is it real? Is it really real? Or is it just idle talk? Are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ today? Are you leaving a legacy for others to follow? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for for your goodness in our lives. Lord, that you take the Rahab, the Rahab moments of our life, and we shine for your glory. Lord, we shine for your glory.
Lord, you redeem us out of the mess. You redeem us out of the pit. And you transform us. Hallelujah. I believe the Lord this morning has spoken to you about the life that you're living. Are you known by your bad attitude? Are you known by your judgmental spirit, your criticism? What is it, what is it that you're known for? What is it that consumes your life? Jim Elliott said, Lord, would you come consume these idle sticks of my life that I might burn for you? I believe today that if you'll burn for Jesus, the nations will come watch. If we'll, if we'll just allow the Spirit of the Lord to ignite us once again, to increase the fire of God in our lives, that the nations will be transformed. I don't need a plaque in somebody's wall of fame. I don't need my name in the lights. I just want to burn for Jesus. I want to burn for Jesus. I want to be known as the person that loved God with a passion and loved others with the same passion. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Speak this week. Challenge us, Lord. Don't let this seed that's been sown fall on rocky soil and produce no fruit. But let it produce much fruit in our lives. That we'll leave a legacy for those who follow us, even in this day. A legacy of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you take the hand of, your, of the person next to you and let's pray for one another today as we go. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Come on, begin to pray for that person on your right and your left. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, that this week they'll walk in victory. This week they'll walk in the plans and the purposes that you have for them. That they'll walk in the blessing that you have for them. They'll receive a hundredfold of everything that you have for them this week. Lord, give them ears to hear what your spirit will say. Even in those still small moments, Lord, while they're at work or at home with the family. Lord, whatever it is, they'll be sensitive to your voice, sensitive to your direction. Thank you, Jesus, that you have endued us with power. You have clothed us with power to fulfill and to live the legacy you've called us to. You've not left us powerless, but you've made every, every ounce of power we need available through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can you give him praise this morning? Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Amen. Well, God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday in the House of the Lord Wednesday night. Pray for us. We go to New Orleans this week to do, Heather's doing a women's conference and, and I'm preaching and then we'll be back next week. So pray for us while we travel. God bless you. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7000.
888-788-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.